Well, good morning, and once again, thank you for your kind invitation to, to be here with you. I wonder if you've uh, ever stopped to think of how important food is in your life. I'm not so much thinking of the day-to-day -day aspect of, of eating and drinking, but more around those important moments. Um, think, of, think of the most important moments in your life uh, or, or in our lives. So things like uh, birthdays, weddings, uh, Christmas, celebrating Christmas or celebrating the new year and, uh, and, and how food is one of the main components of all of those celebrations. What would a birthday party be without a cake or, um, or a wedding without a banquet or Christmas without I don't know, well, we normally do a roast um, for Christmas lunch, but or without a, um, a roast or a barbecue. Every time we celebrate, there's food somewhere in the middle of it. I want you to also think of how, what a difference hospitality makes. I wonder if you've ever experienced surprising, unexpected hospitality. In our church, a couple... Um, from our church went to Europe, went to Austria and were cycling through Austria and, uh, and they, were, uh, they, they were doing a mountain pass and it had started raining and it was very cold and windy and uh, as they're cycling up the mountain, uh, a police car went past them and, uh, and slowed down, looked at them and then kept going. They thought they might be in trouble. Anyway. They cycle all the way to the top and guess who's waiting for them? The police car. But the police stop them, ask them some questions. Where are you from? What are you doing? Where are you going? And then the police said to them, listen, really cold afternoon. You shouldn't be out today cycling. Why don't you come down to the police station, have a hot shower and we'll give you a cup of coffee. And so, uh, so... Police car took off, they cycled down, found the police station, and our friends from our church said it was one of the most unexpected moments of all their trip. So they look back over all the things, that is one of the highlights. Unexpected hospitality. In my case, in my, in my, my story, is that my parents were missionaries. I grew up overseas in South America, and... On our way to Colombia, leaving, uh, we'd, we'd sold, my, my parents had sold everything and we were travelling across to South America for the very first time and we land in Los Angeles and a family that I didn't know picked us up from the airport and took us home and for the next week looked after us and cooked for us and, and just, they loved us. And I remember asking my parents who these people were. Did, did they know them? How, how, how was it that they got to, got to know them? And the surprise for me was to find out that the people that we were staying with in Los Angeles were completely unknown to my parents. Somebody, somebody had, had made a connection, said, you're going to, the, to, to LA and I've got some friends there, I'm going to ring them up. And these people who didn't know us 
go to the airport, pick us up, bring us back to their home, cook meals for us, and extended hospitality. They became lifelong friends of my parents. The impact of genuine hospitality. I don't know if you have, uh, you know the story of Eric Liddell. Uh, he is most famous for, for being a strong Christian and winning a gold medal at the Paris Olympics. And you may have seen his story in the movie The Chariots of Fire. Anybody seen the movie at all? Okay, you've got to read the book or re- watch the movie. It's, uh, it, it is a very, very good story. Uh, What's not so well known is that Eric Liddell spent the last two years of his life in a Japanese concentration camp in China and he died just five months before the war ended. What captured uh, my attention about Eric Liddell was the way in which he lived out his Christian faith in the concentration camp. It was said about Eric Liddell that he served everyone. He did small and anonymous things for for all kinds of people. For example, he boiled hot water for an Italian family so they could feed their baby. He played soccer with the lonely children. He did tasks for others who couldn't do them for themselves. But this part caught my attention. He also looked after the camp prostitutes. He built shelves and he helped them set up their room. He looked after them. He was kind to them. One of the prostitutes said about Eric Rodell that he was the only man she had met who did not demand favours in return for his service. You see, Eric Rodell in the camp showed hospitality to everyone, be it foreigners, children, or even those who nobody else wanted to talk to. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to have a look at this story in Luke chapter 7, and I want to ask the question, what is it about hospitality that is so important for us as Christians? And to do that, we're going to have a look at this story in three ways. And the first point I want to draw out from the story is that Jesus himself welcomes sinners. Now, our story begins in verse 36 with a Pharisee by the name of Simon inviting Jesus to have dinner at his home. Now, Pharisees were prominent religious leaders in their community. They were the professionally trained teachers of the Bible that everybody looked up to as examples of what to do. Now, the story doesn't tell us why Simon made the invitation. We can only guess. I think that possibly Simon was as curious as he was suspicious of Jesus. Who was this radical, untrained teacher from Nazareth who was doing all kinds of amazing miracles and attracting huge crowds. Simon wasn't quite sure. So maybe that's why he invited him to his house. 
So meals in the days of Jesus were very important events. They were often public affairs. Um, when you don't have the internet or you don't have Netflix, what do you do at home? What do you do in the evenings? Well, in those days, you would go out and you would watch people eat and you would listen to their conversation. So in a larger home like Simon's, the dining area would open up into a central courtyard and so people from the town, from the street, would come into the courtyard, they would sit down and they would watch the meal and they would listen to the conversation. The guests would sit in the dining area with the food in the middle of the room on the floor and the guests would recline on cushions around the food and people would sit in the courtyard or on the edges of the room watching and listening. And all of this explains what's about to happen to Simon's exclusive dinner party. Now somewhere during the evening, much to Simon's annoyance and embarrassment, a sinful woman stands up from within the courtyard and moves into the dining area Simon knows her because she has a real reputation in town. She's, she has a reputation with men. We're not told exactly what she's done, but we can only guess that she was probably a prostitute of the town. And she moves out of the crowd and she comes right up to where Jesus is and she kneels at his feet. Simon and all the Pharisees recoil in horror as she, she, it's as if she's got Ebola. She's contagious. And just at the moment when Simon is going to call some of his servants to kick her out of the party, to throw her out of the house, a little voice inside of his head says, Simon, just, just watch and see what's about to happen. You might actually discover who Jesus really is. And so he waits to see what happens. And in the most inappropriate of ways, the woman kneels behind Jesus and to Simon's horror and to the horror of all the Pharisees, she begins to kiss his feet and to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, now just a little, just a little cultural insight to, to, to let your hair loose in the culture of Jesus was the most immodest thing that you could do. It was, uh, ex, uh, excuse the way I'm going to describe it, but it, it, it would be like going topless in public. That's how immodest this act was. So here is Simon, like recoiling in horror, and to his surprise. Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus, Jesus doesn't jump up and push the woman away. He's okay with what she's doing. And at this moment, Simon in his head, and I want you to notice what verse 39 says, Simon in his head, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would know 
who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner and for Simon it's all sealed it's done and dusted he He's seen Jesus. Jesus has completely discredited himself. He cannot be a prophet. And for Simon, that's the end of it. End of story. But I want you to notice that something is going on here at this moment. And to understand what's going on, we just need to go back a few verses to verse 31. Can you just go back in your Bibles to verse 31? And I want you to read carefully with me the verses because they give us an insight about Jesus. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you and then you did not dance and we sung a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine and you said he is a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners but wisdom is proved right by all her children. You notice how Jesus calls himself? And and do you notice how Jesus describes what he's doing? It says in verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's what he did. All the way through the Gospel of Luke, you find Jesus eating with tax collectors, with Levi, with Matthew, with Zacchaeus. He also goes to the house of Simon. He's, wherever he goes, he sits down and he connects and he talks with people. Why is he doing this? Well, the next phrase gives us some insight. It says, here is, here is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is who Jesus is. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now we have to ask the question, well, why, why, why is Jesus doing this? And in order, to, um, in order to explain Jesus' action, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 25. And in Isaiah 25, we find that God describes a coming day in which he is going to throw the biggest of parties. And it says in, in Isaiah 25 that there will be the best of food. Let me just find the verse. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. God is saying, I'm going to throw a party unlike anything this world has ever seen. And to this party, I am going to extend my invitation of love and grace to all peoples and all tribes of the world. This is why my, my parents went to South America. Because they believed 
that South Americans, that Colombians were invited as well to God's banquet. And if you're here this morning and you don't know much about Jesus yet, and I want to say to you that God, God's love extends to you through His invitation. He's inviting you. It's like He's got a big party. It's, he's inviting you to come to, to, to get to know Him, to, to come as a stranger, but to become His friend through the work of Jesus on the cross. His invitation of grace is extended to all of us. No one is not invited to this party. And this explains why Jesus at Simon's meal is so welcoming and allows the woman to come and to touch him. He does not throw her away. He does not kick her out. He does not send her off. He does not insult her. In fact, he welcomes her. And at the end of the story, in verse 49, he even, uh, in verse 48, sorry, he even says to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors because he was reflecting the great meal, the great invitation that God is extending to all of us. And instead of, and I want you to notice that, that Simon's meal, his meal was exclusive. It was, it was the people that he considered to be at his same level. They were the ones that he was inviting to the meal, but Jesus' invitation extended way beyond. You see, Jesus and Simon, they... They agreed, both of them agreed. Simon would have agreed with Jesus that there was a party, that was, there was a meal in heaven, a banquet. But when Jesus and Simon dif- differed and they, and they really argued strongly was who was invited to the meal. For Simon, it was just people like himself. For Jesus, the invitation was extended to all peoples, to sinners, to tax collectors. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. You haven't worked for this. You haven't earned it. It is a gift of God. And friends, if, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, then I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is extending an invitation of God's love and grace to you and he is saying to you, come. And you might be thinking in your mind, but you don't know the things that I've done. Well, I want to remind you from the story that Jesus knew who the woman was and he still welcomed her to his table. Jesus welcomes sinners. That's why we're here in church, isn't it, really? Because Jesus welcomed us. The second part of the story is, I want you to notice, is that the woman welcomes Jesus. Now, twice in the story, in verse 36, I want you to notice, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. 
The very next verse, verse 37, says the same things. The same thing, sorry. Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So two times in two verses, Luke, who's writing the gospel, is pointing out that Jesus is sitting at this meal in the house of Simon. This is Simon's house. He's made the invitation, which means that Simon is the host of this party, right? He's the host. Or is he? Have a look at what verse 44 says. Go down to verse 44. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Simon, I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has forgiven little, loves little. Now, if you and I were invited to a dinner party, to a barbecue this afternoon, if we went, we would expect the host to shake shake our hands when we arrive, maybe take our jacket and put it somewhere, and probably offer us something to drink. That would be standard courtesy, hospitality. So in the day of Jesus, a good host would greet his guests with a kiss, offer them water, uh, offer them water to wash their feet. But I want you to notice that Simon has done none of these things. Simon is the host who really isn't the host. And I want you to notice that the woman is the real host of this party, even though she's not even a guest. You notice how Jesus contrast Simon's hospitality with hers. Simon, you didn't give me any water, but she's washed my feet. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with expensive perfume. In other words, Jesus is saying, Simon, I'm in your house, and she, but she's been my host. She's been the only one who's really welcomed me here today, but Simon, you haven't. So the question is, why? What's the difference? Why why is it that the woman welcomes Jesus with such extravagant hospitality, while Simon, who should know better, doesn't? Now, a really simple surface level to this question is, is, well, well, what's the difference between Simon and, and the woman? Well, Simon on one hand is the righteous and respectable religious leader of the community and the woman is, is a degraded prostitute who sells her body to men for money. But I want you to see that Jesus sees things completely differently. And when Simon, in his mind, condemns Jesus...
for allowing the woman to touch him, Jesus doesn't defend himself. Instead, he begins to defend the woman and explain her actions. You see, Jesus has become her true friend. And to explain why she's shown hospitality, why it is that she's doing what she is doing, Jesus tells a story. And he says, in verse 41, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Isn't it ironic that the very moment that Simon is in his mind looking at Jesus and saying he cannot be a prophet, at that very moment, Jesus speaks to him and says, Simon, I've got something to tell you, to talk to you about. And Jesus knows exactly what Simon has just thought. Simon, I have something to tell you, verse 31. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's probably about a year's wage, and the other 50. Now, I want to suggest that at this moment, Jesus' story makes absolute sense for Simon. Because this is exactly how Simon has lived his life. This is exactly how Simon views the whole world. Simon knows that sin is like a debt. That he has been, for his whole life, he has been religiously working to reduce his debt towards God. And while Simon would never ever suggest, dare to suggest, that he's paid his debt off, It sure is comforting to know that your debt is a whole lot smaller than the debt of others, for example, like the debt of this prostitute. But now, in verse 42, Jesus introduces a surprising twist into his story that completely shocks Simon. Verse 42, When neither of them had the money to pay him back, he forgave the debts of both of them. Can you imagine, just, just for a moment, Simon has been working all his life to reduce his debt. And now Jesus says, begins to talk about a man who has completely forgiven the debt of both of his creditors, both the large debt and the small one. Then Jesus asks the question to Simon in verse, at the end of verse 42. Simon, Here's his question. Simon, supposing that this good news were actually true, which of the two people would love the creditor more? Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly, Simon. You see what Jesus is saying? You see, Simon Simon has no sense of forgiveness because he has no sense of need. In his eyes, his debt is manageable. It's still there, but he's working on it, and it's pretty small. So because he doesn't sense any need, there is no sense of forgiveness And because there is no sense of forgiveness and need, therefore there is no love. 
I want you to notice that Jesus is not saying at the end of the story that because the woman loved, she got forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's the opposite way around. Because she has been forgiven, she is now loving. And I want you to notice how this plays out. You see, because Simon doesn't believe he has any debt because he, he has no need of God, he's, he's managing quite well on his own. I want you to observe that the meal, his hospitality, reflects his understanding of his need or his lack of forgiveness. You see, Simon has invited to his table the people that he thinks are good enough to be there. Simon has invited his Pharisee friends, the ones that he believes are as righteous as he is. The meal that Simon has served is exclusive. His hospitality pushes people out. At his meal, the woman is not invited because she doesn't match his level of righteousness. And so Simon's hospitality reflects his understanding or his lack of understanding of his need for God's forgiveness. And yet how different it is for the woman who has been forgiven by Jesus, who understands her need, and has received the grace of God, and I want you to notice how extravagant her love for Jesus is. She gets that Jesus has welcomed her. She gets that, that, that God has, by grace, invited her to his meal. She gets that she doesn't belong there, but she is because Jesus has made it possible. Friends, what I want to point out is that when we begin to understand the gospel of God's grace, it begins to impact our hospitality. You see, if we're sitting here this morning and, we're, and we think, we may never say this with our words, but in our mind, if we're thinking, you know, I've done okay, I've tidied up my life, I've sorted things out, then that's going to impact how we show hospitality. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I cannot believe that God has invited me to his banquet. I don't deserve to be sitting at his table. I did nothing to deserve it, but, but Jesus in his grace and his love has invited me. It begins to impact how you treat others around you. And this is where we lead to our final point, which is that sinners welcome sinners. You see, this morning you and I sit here and the only reason we are here is because God has welcomed us in Christ. Is that true? It is, isn't it? And the, and the verse that got up on the screen says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, how is God glorified? God's glory is on full display because God, the holy and just God, 
has welcomed by his grace and by his extravagant mercies you and I, sinful rebels, to sit at his table. And the New Testament says that when we do the same, because we understand the gospel of God's grace and we extend that grace to others around us, that God is glorified. And friends, hospitality is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But sometimes it can get very twisted and dark. Simon's meal was exclusive to mark those who were worthy and to mark those who weren't. But Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of Simon's meal and he showed that at God's banquet, all those who come by faith are welcomed. In fact, to be welcomed by God is part of our Christian identity. We cannot understand ourselves without thinking about hospitality. Listen to this verse in Ephesians chapter 2. We have been seated with Christ. That is the image of hospitality, a meal. God has welcomed sinners to sit at his banquet table, which means that we already sit with God at his table, not as strangers, but as his dear friends. We are the people who have been welcomed by God. We cannot understand ourselves without understanding God's hospitality. And this is why Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, Jesus' invitation and welcome to us should shape the way that we welcome others. The welcome of Jesus ought to produce in us a deep gratitude for all that God has done that gratitude that comes from understanding that the payment of my sins has been fully and completely made at the cross. It makes me realise that I have no right to set up a banquet table like Simon's in which some people are allowed to come in but others are pushed out. I wonder if your meals reflect the hospitality of Simon or the hospitality of Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Do your friendships reflect the fact that you have been incredibly forgiven, that your, an enormous debt has been paid? Does your hospitality reflect the woman's love and gratitude or would you have to say that your meals and friendships are more like those of Simon? In our church, as I said earlier, one of the things that one of the beautiful things that's been happening is that we've been seeing people from India and China coming, coming to church and coming to faith. And one of the challenges that we've issued to our church family is are you willing to invite those who are coming from other cultures to sit at your table in 
your home and to open up your lives to them. And I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe the reverse challenge is being issued to you this morning. I want you to think, just, just, just think for a moment, when you're, when you're at church and you're, and you're here with your friends in your nice, comfortable group of friends and a stranger walks into the door, what happens? This is what Jesus is pushing. This is what he's, he's asking us this morning. Does your actions at that moment reflect Simon or do you reflect the woman? Simon was exclusive. Simon kept everything very comfortable, very tight. He invited those who could invite him back. But Jesus came to invite those to his great banquet table who could never pay, never, never pay back. And this is the life that Jesus welcomes us into to to live out a life of hospitality. Let's pray. Father, as we think of the gospel, a radical invitation to sit at your banquet table, rebels and sinners who have, who, who did not deserve, never, never deserved to sit at your table, to discover that Jesus would come and pay the price and, and in order to freely and completely pay our debt, he would have to pay the debt with his own life, with his own blood. He laid down his life to set us free. And so this morning we sit at God's banquet table, we sit with Christ in the heavenly realms. But Lord, this morning you are challenging us to reflect and to ask the question, are you, are we, this morning, are we living, are we living out the hospitality that Jesus has shown to us? And what might that look like? It might be leaving our friends for a moment and walking across the room and saying good morning to somebody that we don't know. It might be picking up the phone and calling somebody from our church and saying, would you like to come and have a meal with my family? Lord, we pray that you would would make the gospel go deep into our hearts. Help us to understand all that you have done for us and help us to reflect the welcome that has been shown to us for the glory of God so that others may see how good the gospel really is. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.